welcome to I Dare You to Thrive with Jackie Simmons. And now I'd like to introduce you to the host, Jackie Simmons. Oh, it's me. Hi. I had to dare myself to thrive. I had to dare myself to be willing to interview myself. I had to dare myself to show up today. And for everyone who has worked with me in the background, who knows that I did everything possible to fill the schedule of 24 slots for this season of the show without leaving space for myself. I finally had to write on the wall and it says right over there, the elephant in the room is that I wasn't scheduled to speak on my own show. And I thought that that's a journey worth sharing. You know, TEDx is founded on the concept that there are ideas worth spreading. And they spread ideas on everything from start with why to um, the year of saying yes to how to wash your hands, which is one of the most watched TEDx talks in history. And it had a lot of audience participation. So feel free to participate. If you've got something that you would like to be dared to do, a place in your life, in your world, in your community that you want to dare yourself to thrive in, we're here for you. We're going to dare you to be you. We're going to dare you to be you on so much energy that thriving is the natural consequence. See, I think that there's a difference between thriving and striving. And most people have them hooked together. And I think it's a good idea to split them apart. Most people think that in order to thrive, you got to work hard. You have to strive for it. And I think that in order to thrive, you just have to accept the fact that that's your birthright. We believe that thriving is your birthright. And that somewhere along the way, uh, along the way you have forgotten that thriving is your birthright. Now, how do you forget that thriving is your birthright? Could be you forgot at a really young age because you were in an environment where thriving was not the norm. We do learn what we live, people. So if you were raised in an environment where thriving was not the norm, not the expectation, then that makes sense that you don't believe that you can thrive. Now, maybe you don't believe that you can thrive because in your middle years, when you went to school, getting A's was considered thriving and you were not an A student. So therefore, you don't think you're good enough or smart enough to thrive. And that's a belief that when we get it at that point in time, it impacts the rest of our life unless we get a handle on this. Maybe you were doing all right, and then you hit a bump in the road as an adult, and that bump can be mighty high. That bump could look like betrayal of someone who you thought loved you, someone you loved. That could look like a major illness. It could look like an addiction of any kind. That betrayal could look like, that bump in the road could look like, I got this whole list of things that are suicide risk indicators. 
And the first one is your know, major illness, chronic pain, something that makes you different, like a disability. And that could be something that occurs in your adulthood. Like my friend who was diagnosed with lupus as an adult. Yeah, that's a major bump in the road. It caused her to develop a belief about thriving that it had to come from outside of her, that she couldn't do it on her own. What do you believe? What was your bump in the road? Was it the environment you grew up in? Was it the environment that you, we'll call it, matured in? Or was it something that happened as an adult? Because the bullying, the abuse, the addiction, the symptomatic things, as well as the observable differences, disabilities, chronic pains, and major illnesses. All of these can happen at any age. And for some of us, they happened at every age. Thriving is not what I grew up with. I've shared parts of my story and I'll share a little more. My family was the collision of a country song. My mama was a coal miner's daughter and my daddy was the son of a preacher man. And they went on a legendary journey together having met in all places in missionaries college. And then they went into the military lifestyle. So we moved a lot. Military lifestyle interesting way to grow up gave me a very different perspective on the world because the only thing that I knew for sure is that I did not fit in. I didn't fit in anywhere that I lived and I didn't fit in inside my own family and I did not understand that. All I knew is that by the time I started school, life was changing rapidly for me. I started kindergarten in Okinawa, not the normal place for people to start kindergarten, but I finished kindergarten in a little town in North Carolina. Small town North Carolina did not know what to do with a family of army brats that did not have a daddy because my daddy went to Vietnam, a war that was highly controversial at the time, though I didn't understand what that meant for me. What I did know was a couple of years later when my daddy came back, he no longer lived with us. Because while he was off fighting a war for our country, inside my family, another war was being fought. And that war was about custody and about divorce. So I spent most of my growing up years, my middle years in small towns in North Carolina the youngest daughter of a single mother at a time when that was not the norm and not condoned. And it had a stigma attached to it that to this day is probably the greatest gift that was ever given to me. But I didn't know that then. What I knew then was that I didn't fit in. And that storyline continued for me. I didn't fit in. And so if that's been your storyline or if any of this resonates with you, feel free to pop that into the chat or into the comments. 
because this is a story of thriving and it's possible to thrive. No matter how many of these bumps in the roads, how many of these times where you were living a life that was not what you thought you signed up for, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you're here today. And so for every one of you listening to this, I just want to congratulate you for staying because not everybody chooses to. And no matter how many times you've tried not to stay, that you've actually tried to leave, if that's been your story, I'm here to tell you it does not matter. What matters is that you are here today. And that's all that matters. Here's why. Now, thriving for me has a very, very different meaning than what it did growing up. Thriving when I was growing up was about having enough food and being able to stay invisible. Thriving to me meant hiding. Hiding under the table. Hiding behind a book when I was too big to fit under the table. Hiding in plain sight. Why? Because if I had my nose stuck in a book, other people left me alone. Mostly. So thriving and hiding got really hooked together for me. And then I went to school. And there was a problem. I was pretty good in school. So I knew the answer and I would... I would want to raise my hand. I would want to have some place where it was safe to be seen. And I found out that being the first person to raise your hand, being the one who could answer the teacher's questions most of the time, not all the time, but even most of the time, was not the way to win a popularity contest. I didn't know that being in school and surviving in school could be a popularity contest. I thought being in school was a place where you were supposed to know the answers to things. So I learned. I learned that it wasn't safe to be seen as too smart. It wasn't safe to go first. It wasn't safe to have ideas and express them without being given express permission. Now, I don't know what your personality type, but for my personality type, this was like being put in jail. And so I lived my school years in jail, basically being told that I couldn't be me and be safe. So whether it was the system saying, Jackie, let other people have a turn, by the way, that is like the most damaging thing somebody could ever say to me. <laughs> Jackie, let somebody else have a turn. Dims my light. Dimmed my light to the point that I decided that it wasn't safe to continue. And so I got out of high school got accepted to college and used money as an excuse 
not to go. I said I couldn't bear the thought of being in debt because boy, they wanted me to sign these papers and there was a lot of money involved. And my mama, I'm the youngest of four. My mama was like nervous about money. She'd been nervous about money my whole life. She never gave herself permission to believe that she was okay with money, that she was safe with money. So I used her emotional inheritance that I had gotten as an excuse not to go to college. I took the great American escape route. I got married and I had kids and I have no regrets about having kids. But I do have bumps in the roads there too, in that I became a single mom. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a single mama. There's nothing wrong with being a single parent, whether you're the mom, the dad, you know, whoever it is who is blessed with children to raise. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not how it felt because I had brought with me those bumps in the roads from earlier in my life where there was something wrong with having a single mom. This journey of survival is one that took some dramatic turns. It took a dramatic turn when I became a single mom. It took a dramatic turn when I remarried. You know, it's funny. I never thought to remarry with three kids. I mean, after all, my mama didn't remarry until I was in my 30s and I'm the youngest. So I, you know, she had been living alone for a long time. And then her second marriage lasted about six months. So I didn't have this concept that I would remarry, but I did. And I remarried a man who was financially dramatically more stable than my first husband. I mean, my first husband, we were, you know, he was a job jumper. We moved a lot. We did five states with 11 different addresses in four years. It made what I grew up with in the military look like nothing. My second husband was stable. He was stable financially. He was stable geographically had a good solid career, where he wasn't stable was emotionally. Somehow that didn't seem to show up in a significant way, not in a way that gave me significant pause, if you will, not in a way that made his emotional stability more important than the financial stability that I wanted for my daughters that I didn't think I was capable of creating. See, that's the legacy that I had inherited, this insecurity about money. That was the legacy of single parenthood from my mama that I brought into my life with my children. And that's what made it possible for me to stay married for my second husband for 17 years. Other people can sometimes see clearer than we do. After my second divorce, I found out that my children and their friends only had one question. What took you so long? 
That's a really good question. If you've got something in your life that you are tolerating that is reinforcing a bump in your road, something that's in the way of you thriving, what's taking you so long to face it and deal with it and move it out of your way? For me, what took me so long to start moving on was I needed to believe in my own ability to survive, to make a difference, to make enough of a difference in the world. Oh, hell no. I just needed to make enough of a difference to one employer that I could keep a job. Oh, yeah. It was the fear of not being able to be self-supporting that was behind my willingness to tolerate the emotional instability of that marriage. But it was during this time that other things started coming up and my other bump in the road has a name. It's called depression. And if you are walking through that dark valley, I'm gonna invite you to reach out today and get help. Don't wait, reach out. You can call a suicide intervention hotline. You can reach out to anyone in the VIP lounge. You can reach out to someone, please. Because that particular place of darkness was also part of the reason I was willing to tolerate the emotional instability in my second marriage. Because if he was having emotional highs and lows, it was easier for me to ignore the fact that I was emotionally pretty flatlined at a pretty low place. The inability to feel is the legacy of betrayal. And so if you have been through this, if you resonate with this concept that you have had a life that was not what you signed up for, and it has felt like you have been betrayed by people, places, or prosperity, that's not quite the right word in that sentence, but I was trying to get another P in there. If you have been betrayed by people, places or providence. That's the word I was looking for. Recognize that you might just be living an emotional legacy and you don't have to stay there. The journey to thriving came up only after my daughter's multiple suicide attempts as a teenager. It came up only after the ending of my second marriage, which was relatively peaceful given how volatile the marriage had been. It came to a head when I realized that I'd been living my life based on other people's expectations, other people's opinions of who I was and what I could become other people's judgments. And I had internalized all of that and came to the conclusion that if I did not change how I was living my life, I was going to get to the end of my life never having lived my life. So I started listening to songs like My Way, you know, I did it My Way by Frank Sinatra and Get Out of My Life, you know, Get it My Life by... Um, Billy Joel, and songs that had this kind of energy of it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And I came to a place that got really dark because I did not believe that I was good enough to have anything that was mine. My kids were grown. 
I was financially viable. I won't say stable because I was an entrepreneur and emotional stability and financial stability are not necessarily the hallmarks of entrepreneurialism until you start figuring out how to wrap a business around what you're good at. And that took a while for me, but I was, I was financially viable. I was emotionally more stable. I was still looking for a permanent cure for depression. Western medicine could get me stable but they could not cure me and they don't talk in terms of that language and neither did Eastern medicine, which is the other thing I dove into. I had to find it. I had to find a cure for me. I didn't set out to save the world and people think I am so wonderful because now I'm the director of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, but that wasn't about saving the world. Before I could get to thriving, I had to give myself permission to forgive myself. To forgive myself for not being smarter sooner. See, I didn't know that the legacy of my mama was hers, not mine, when it came to financial fear. And I didn't know that the culture I was in that does not reward people who go first and have the answers was the legacy of the culture that I was in. It didn't have to be mine. What is the legacy that you could leave behind? Because just because somebody handed it to you does not mean you have to live it. And it doesn't mean you have to pick it up and carry it with you. I'm an expert on picking up other people's bad attitudes and judgments and opinions and expectations and carrying them with me and thinking that I'm living when what I was doing was just surviving. Just putting one foot in front of the other, selling myself on the idea that life was good enough. And it was, how do I know I survived? But thriving wasn't part of my conversation and I want thriving to be part of your conversation. See, at no point did I believe that I was good enough at anything to thrive. And that's the hard part to share. Right up until this year, in the COVID cocoon, something happened. What happened was that I realized I had never accepted that betrayal is not about me. It's about the person who took the action that betrayed my trust. Oh, all those bumps in a road. The teacher who said, Jackie, wait and let somebody else go first. That wasn't about me. That was about the teacher not knowing how to encourage other people without putting a stop on my actions. My mama's fears around money, around don't take too much, don't eat too much, don't, don't eat the good stuff first, don't, you know, don't, 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 don't. Those fears were not about me. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was being me, I was being a kid. Those fears were about her 
and what she had lived growing up. And oh yeah, legacies go generation to generation. When it comes to thriving, sometimes we get thriving confused with money and financial security, financial independence, financial self-sufficiency. It's a currency that we're going to be discussing later on in another episode of the show with an expert on it. But for this episode, for this conversation that we're having, financial stability is part of thriving, but it's not all there is. And I did not know that. I thought that if I made enough money, if I could find a way to be financially stable, that that, that would be good enough. It's amazing what a high price I paid for that. I paid for it with my self-respect. That's way too high of a price to pay for financial stability. I'm just saying. Because without self-respect, thriving is not possible because the belief in myself could not exist without the fertile ground that self-respect provides. So what's it going to take for you to thrive? What's it going to take for you to let go of what you are doing? What you, not what, yes, what you are doing. Why? Because we do what we've learned. And what we learned is what we lived. So what is the legacy that you lived that has become part of your lexicon, part of the way you talk, part of the way you think about yourself that you're willing to let go of today so that you can thrive, so that you can believe in yourself that you are strong enough, that you are good enough right now to thrive? Because it's an attitude that I didn't have. And now that I kind of got it, most days, I still have my moments and I was having a moment about speaking on the show. So that the elephant in the room, I didn't book myself to speak on my own show. That let me know that I was still living a legacy that I did not want to leave to another generation. And that's really the question. Is the legacy you're living something you want to leave to the next generation? And if it's not, then I dare you to put it down. I dare you to take up an attitude that will allow you to thrive in whatever thrive means to you today. See, when I picked up the idea that maybe I could make a difference in the suicide realm, in the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, it wasn't about making a difference. I thought that if I did this book and these things with my daughter, one, it would help me feel a little better about all of the guilt, shame, blame, regret, crap that I had been carrying around with the label. And I had labeled myself as the mother of a suicide attempt survivor. It's not a label that made my life easier, let me tell you. That's why I believe firmly, and this is my belief, labels belong on pickle jars, not on people. I thought that helping my daughter with this book, with this whole project, would help me peel that label off. And that that's what I needed to do. And the reality was, I also thought that it would help me leverage my business, that it would give me more credibility because I was still harboring this belief that I wasn't good enough. 
that why would anybody listen to me? I still had a belief that I wasn't smart enough, wasn't articulate enough, wasn't, um, oh hell, I wasn't good enough to have a thriving business. I wasn't good enough to make a difference and I never would be because that's what I had lived, was that permanent belief. You know, that I had a permanent record that would never let me be anything more than that. Now, I look like I had a good business, but the reality was I wasn't thriving in it. I was struggling with it. It was hard ass work. Do you ever love what you do, but not love the work that goes into it to make money? I'm learning that when I take my focus off of the need to make money, when I let go of that fear around the finances, recognizing that that's not my fear, that was my mama's fear. When I lean into what everyone supports me in, which is my willingness to stand up and speak out on a topic that nobody else wants to talk about. Now I'm living the way that little girl. Now I'm living that little girl who said, I've got the answer. I know. Now I've got that energy again. I don't want anybody else to have to take the decades that it took for me to reclaim the energy. To be willing to say, if I can't go first because I've got this idea, if I can't speak up first in your world, in your ballpark, I'm going to create my own. And that's why I'm thriving is because I became willing to stop playing by other people's rules. This summit, the way that this summit is put together is not according to the rules of a summit. There are two rules. There are two sets of rules for this kind of event. One set comes from the entrepreneurial world. And in the entrepreneurial world, this is a complete failure. What I do is a flat out failure. Why? Because I don't monetize it. I'm not using my time to sell something. I'm not setting up affiliate links with my speakers. I'm not letting my speakers sell anything. I mean, it's, it's not about money. It's not about business. So I'm a failure with this in the business world by their definition. I tried running summits by their rules. You can still find some of them um, if you look hard enough. And I will probably post some of those videos. At some point, I used to host something called the Woman Entrepreneur Show. I also used to host my own radio show. So I have tried playing by their rules, but I did not thrive in their ballpark. Now, the other camp, the other ballpark when it comes to a summit is the symposium. It is the expert route. And while I have a lot of experts on this show, I don't play by their rules either. Their rules are you can't call it a show. You can't put fun and suicide prevention in the same sentence. You'll never be taken seriously in the mental health community or the educational community. As much respect as I have for both the mental health community and the educational community. I do not give a fat rat's ass if they take me seriously or not. 
Why? Because I think both of those systems are restrictive. I think both of those systems are fear-driven. I think they do as much good as they can possibly do with the rules of the ballpark that they have to contend with. And I think that it's a shame because they work for some people, but not enough. They don't work for enough. They don't work for everybody. And for me to consider them successful and me wanting to be part of that, they would have to work for everyone. And I don't think they do. I think that there's a lot of people like me who got their light dimmed a little bit in the ballpark of education. A lot of people like me who got help and it got me stable but it couldn't keep me stable and it couldn't cure me. And more than anything else in the world, I think that you deserve, you deserve to have a place that helps you turn up your light, not dim it. I think you deserve to have a place where emotional stability, this ability to self-regulate, this ability to be happy when you wanna be happy to be sad when you wanna be sad and to know that you will never be stuck at either end, that you can be emotionally resilient and responsive. To be emotionally resilient and responsive is now my definition of thriving. This is what thriving looks like. Thriving is willing to be me. Willing to be me and willing to accept that everything I've ever done, every bump I have ever experienced, every betrayal I have ever lived through makes me the right person for this job. And if I had a definition of thriving for you, it would be that moment when you know that you are the right person for the job. And now I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to believe that you are the right person for whatever job you are doing right now. This is what I mean by dare to thrive. Dare to decide that you have the right job. Dare to decide that you are surrounded by the right people, not just the right people, but you are surrounded by the best in the world. Why? What attitude would you have if you believe? that you work with the best people in the world, the best clients, the best coworkers, the best boss, the best vendors, the best employees in the world. And you brought that attitude into every conversation, every interaction, every email you wrote, every video you spoke into, if you brought the attitude of knowing that you worked with the best clients, vendors, bosses, co-workers, employees in the world. Do you think they might change how they respond to you when you come into their world with that energy, believing they are the best in the world? Not only will your energy impact them and you will notice that they step into that belief, but your attitude will change. 
And as soon as your attitude changes from this place of, oh, ain't it awful? Ain't I struggling? Look at what happened. What did I bring with me? As soon as you shift into, I work with the best in the world. And I'm the right person for the job. You start asking different questions. How can I show this person that I believe they are the best in the world? Big question. What actions would I take if I believed I was the right person for the job? And then absolute acceptance that everything I have done, everything you have done, everything that has been done up until this moment by anybody, including me. So clients, coworkers, bosses, vendors, employees, and me. Whatever has been done has been good enough. Now I've got a new attitude. What am I going to take into the next step? I dare you. I dare you to make the decision right now that you're going to live the next moment of your life with this attitude. That you are doing the right thing at the right time in the right amount right now that you always have. It was good enough. It was always have. And now, what are you going to do next? What attitude are you going to take forward with you? Because this is what thriving looks like. Thriving looks like knowing with absolute certainty that everything I have ever experienced, every decision I have ever made, every penny I have ever spent, every second I have ever lived, everything I have ever studied, every teacher I have ever listened to, and every person I have ever met, prepared me in some way to be the right person for the job that I am doing today. Oh yeah. What if you lived your life from that attitude, from this moment on? I dare you. I dare you to thrive. I dare you to let go of any legacy that you have lived into that you don't want to leave for the next generation. Because it's not about surviving. It is about choosing. And by the way, thriving is a choice. For all that it is your birthright, you have to choose it. You have to choose it. Why do you have to choose it? Because other people are watching. Other people will see what you're going through and they may choose to be inspired by you if you choose to do the one thing that allows you to thrive. And there is only one thing. There is only one thing that you need to do that will allow you to thrive. And it's a job only you can do. Nobody else can do this for you. The one thing that you have to do, the only thing you ever have to do is you have to choose to inspire yourself. That's it. Choose to inspire yourself. That's your job. Nobody else's. No matter how many leaders stand on podiums and share that they have a dream or that yes, we can, or that we have the right, no matter how many people speak words that stir your emotions, 
the only person who can truly inspire you is the one that lives inside the same skin with you. So the conversation that we're having is the conversation I want you to take into behind your eyes and between your ears and have a little talk with yourself about choosing to be the inspiration in your own life. Choosing that for yourself because other people may choose to be inspired by you if you make the choice to inspire you. That's your job. That's my dare. I dare you to be inspiring to the person you live with, the one you see in the mirror every morning. That's the only one that matters. So be you, but be the most inspiring you to yourself that you can be. Other people will notice. You don't have to worry about telling them. They'll recognize it in you because I do. And I believe in you. Thank you. I dare you to thrive. There's a moment in time where you can choose to thrive. And that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the fact that believing in yourself is one way to choose to thrive. But here's the deal. Believing in yourself is only one piece of the puzzle out of four. Believing in yourself comes from three other places. The first one is getting to know yourself. And Getting to Know You was a wonderful song in a musical called The King and I. And the most important piece of it was about learning about herself. So getting to know yourself is really key. The second piece is getting to like yourself because it's not always, I'm, no, I'm gonna own this. Hmm. I'm not always the most likable person in my own mind. I do not always like the choices that I make that make me sick the next day or that make me look a little rounder than I would like to appear, that make me carry the weight that makes my knees hurt some days. You know, there are things that I do that I do not necessarily like about myself and learning how to like myself a little better was a real key piece to learning to believe in myself. And the other leg, so you got believe in yourself, know yourself, like yourself, and the fourth piece is to trust yourself. So we know that if you get to know yourself, like yourself, and trust yourself even just a little bit more, believing in yourself is so much easier. Believing in your birthright to thrive is so much easier. So we found a way to help you do that. It's an assessment. Think of it like a quiz. At the end of it, you will have a score. We call that your KLT, know, like, and trust factor. And once you have your score, then you get the tips and the tools and the ways to increase your score. And some of them you've been hearing about as we've been doing 
the Suicide Prevention Show, because a lot of our speakers have great things to say on these topics. So you'll be getting all of those tips. The assessment and all of the tips are absolutely free. Everything that we can do to help you improve your know, like, and trust factor so that you can have an easier time believing in you and choosing to thrive. So there's a link that we're going to be putting in the chat. It is the greatest journey you can go on. It's the greatest gift you can give to yourself. And so I appreciate that. It's in the chat. If you're watching this in a recording, it will be in the show notes. We believe in you. We know that believing in yourself, I know that believing in myself was the most difficult decision I ever made to believe that I was the right person for the job was not so easy for me. So just in case it's not so easy for you, just in case there's someone you know who it could be a little easier for, please go on the journey to know, like, and trust yourself. Use the assessment, use all of the gifts, use all of the tips and tools and tricks and raise your score just a little bit. If you raise your no like and trust factor a little bit, if you believe in yourself just one iota more today than you did yesterday, thriving will become your natural state. And we believe it's your birthright. So thank you for being you and thank you for being willing and please click the link, take the assessment, share your score. We dare you to thrive.